But, but we're gonna, I'm going to teach you and break some things down today, which is basically what I do. We're going to take the Scriptures and break them down. But, but what I believe God wants to do today is more than have us leave here with a better understanding of the Word. He, want, he wants us to have that. But God wants, to, God wants to do something here. He wants to do something in you and in me. It's not the chairs. It's not the walls. It's, it's, we are the church. And God wants to do something in us that will change us, as it said about Saul when he became king and was anointed. The Spirit came upon him and changed him into a different man. We're seeing testimonies of people that went out in what we're talking about. We saw that a few minutes earlier and saw that they watched God do amazing things for them simply because they went out in faith, didn't feel anything. They went out and gave God a chance to do what He wanted to do. But we're going to have the chance today to see the background of how God does this and why. So we're going to focus our prayers now and ask God to do something here. I'm not talking so much about something dramatic, but in us. We may not just see something, but we may open our hearts that God may do something in us that He wants to do. So Father, we come to You today in the name of Jesus. We thank You for the time of worship, and we thank You, Father, that You are a good, good Father, and that Your amazing grace has been lavished upon us and that you have held nothing back. There's nothing that you have for us. There's nothing that you have that you have held back from us. And so, Lord, we come to you, and we recognize that the block is in us. It's not from you. And so today we ask you, as we look into the Word of God, first of all, that you would, you would give me the grace and ability to declare this Word and explain this Word as clearly as possible. And that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to grasp and receive what you're saying to us. But more than that, we pray for the Spirit of God to do what we are going to see He did 2,000 years ago and continues to do today. For we desperately need Him. And we thank you for this. We trust you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you open your Bibles with me to John chapter 14? We're continuing, obviously, and the message today is still in this series. What's missing? What's missing? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my staff on, 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 uh, on, on, on the spot right now because what I want to do is I want to f- take the notes that I have today and I want to post them somewhere on our website. So if you go, go on, you'll find... We've done this before, but we're going to go through a bunch of scriptures and I want you to have these available in front of you. I don't want to give them to you ahead of time because I've been in churches where they give them to you ahead of time and people spend their time looking at their notes and not listening to what's being said. But, but we're going to find a way to... I know we can do it. We're going to post these notes. And, and so you just you go on your website, give us a day or so, uh, and then you'll find them there because this is so, so important. John chapter 14. What we're talking about here is, is in a series that I felt God speak to me about when we were on vacation this summer about a month or so ago. Well, I felt God asked me this question, or tell me this. He said, you're at a crossroads. You're at a crossroads in your life. You're at a crossroads in the church here at Faith Christian Center. And the crossroads is this. We can continue on, and there's nothing wrong with the things we've done, but crossroads means it opens up other possibilities, other opportunities. And he said this, the choice is this. You can either have church or you can be the church. And I knew immediately what he meant, but I want to explain it to you because I saw it in my spirit. Having church means that we come together to experience something together for my benefit. It's about us and what we got out of it. 
And it comes from an expression that, that, that was very popular in the 70s and the 80s when the charismatic renewal was exploding in churches and you saw people doing all kinds of wild things. And we may see some of that again. And, and you know, we had people who were laughing. I've been, the church we had, the small church we had, we had, I had one night, one Sunday evening service. Like, were you there, Chris? Yeah, where, where the Spirit of God moved at the end and we were all on the floor until four in the morning. I mean, we couldn't get up. I could not get up. People were laughing. The Spirit of God was doing things, healing people. We could not get up off the floor until He suddenly released it. So I've experienced some amazing things. But the temptation is when you've had those experiences, because we're so carnal, we say, wow, wasn't that wonderful? We really had church tonight, talking about the experience that we have. And then we leave here, go back into our life at home, and nothing ever changes in our life and the world around us. It, but it's something we had. We got out of it. And there's nothing wrong with us getting things out of church, experiencing it. That's part of why we're here. But that's not the main purpose of why we're here. Those things are to encourage us, to strengthen us, to empower us, to do what we are called here to do. And that's to be the church. Because if we are the church, we're going to be the church in here. We're going to be the church in the restaurant after church. We're going to be the church at work tomorrow. We're going to be the church when everything goes wrong and people call you Mr. Rogers or Archie. We're going to be in church. Whatever happens to you, we're going to be. Because when you... I love what he said. I almost came out of my seat. Because it's not what we do. It's who you are. It's being who you are. Then we'll do what we're supposed to do out of who we are. Not try to do something to become something. And you'll see that more clearly as we get into that. So to do that, we went back and we began to look at, all right, why is the church here? Not just Faith Christian Center. Why is the church here? Why doesn't God just take us all out of here? Because it's only here we can get in trouble. We can't get in trouble in heaven. So there's a risk at leaving us here, but God must have determined that this risk is worth something greater. And that is because there are many other souls out there whose eternal destiny still hangs in the balance. And we are here so that through us, God can reach them out of His love and compassion for them. But what the church has done is come up with programs to do this. We've come up with methods to do this. And and many of them are very good, but it's not necessarily what the Word of God says because we've done some of them here, and as soon as we change focus, they just kind of fizzle and and drain out. We had Rodney Howard Brown here almost 10 years ago, and we had people going out on the streets, and it was great. People get saved, and then once he leaves town... We go on to something else. Why? Because we weren't changed. We did something that excited us, but we weren't changed. And we're going to look at that today. So we looked at what the church is here to do. Jesus gave us our commission from four different sides in the four different Gospels. In Matthews, he says, Go into the world and make disciples of all all nations, teaching them and training them to do and observe all that I've commanded you. So we're to make disciples. Mark's version, Mark went forward and said, said that we're to go into the world and we're to preach or proclaim the gospel, the good news. And then he gave indications of what that good news was about, the kingdom of God. He talks about healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, doing things. And then we looked at Luke's gospel. The, the, the time went out, so that's dangerous with me. <laughs> I know they have some trouble with it sometimes. Uh, that... that Luke says that, that we're to go teach repentance. Jesus said we're to teach repentance. We'll see a little more of that today. And then in that, Jesus says to them, but they're to wait in Jerusalem. They're to wait until you've received the promise from the Father. And so, but then we looked, and we're going to go to John chapter 14 now. 
We're going to go to John 14, 12. We already looked at this. And here's another side of the commission that you don't often see. John 14, verse 12. Most assuredly, and and I've dwelled on this last week, when Jesus says most assuredly, we know Jesus doesn't lie. So for Jesus to say most assuredly, that means what he's about to say is so revolutionary that he's got to tell him, look, I really mean this. Listen up, I really mean this. So we need to have that same attitude. I say to you that he who believes in me, notice what he does not say. He does not say the apostles. He does not say pastors. He said, he who believes in me. Do you believe in him? Then he's talking to us. The works, this is the other part of the gospel. This is the other part of the commission. The works that I do will he do also, and greater works than these will he do because I go to my Father. We're going to see why it's because it goes to my Father. And then we went and we looked at these works and we watched Him heal the sick, not just one or two, multitudes. In fact, what we saw is whoever came to Him, He healed. He never turned anyone away. In fact, if He did anything else, He healed people that didn't ask for it. But He never said no to anybody for any reason except one woman, which was the Syrophoenician woman, and He was just trying to draw out of her her real faith. And then he said to her, you've got mega faith. You've got the best faith I've ever seen. But he knew that was in her. So we're to go do the work. So part of the Great Commission is not just telling and talking. It's to do what he did. And what he did more than anything else was to talk and teach the gospel. But he also healed the sick, raised the dead, cast out demons. He delivered people from Satan's dominion, from Satan's affliction. And all around me every day I see people, even in the church here, who are under a bondage to Satan, whether it's fear, whether it's, it's, whether it's depression, whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol, whether it's pornography. Those are works of Satan that Jesus came to deliver people from. Sickness and disease. I hate cancer. Not just because I've had to overcome it. I hate it because it kills, steals, and destroys. It destroys families. It destroys futures. It takes money. It's destroying. And that is not of God. And Jesus delivered people from that. And we need those deliverances today. So part of the commission is that we go and do the same works. But here's where the churches fail. We get overwhelmed. We say, how can we do that? Why Why would God use me? How would God use me? And I use the example which I got from another teacher. But, you know, if Jesus showed up today and somebody, somebody, I won't think of anybody, somebody came up here and just fell over dead, and Jesus showed up on the scene in all His glory, we would have confidence that He could raise them up because He did that. Because it's Jesus. Because He's holy. He's God's Son. But let's go to verse 4. Let's go back to verse 10, I think it is. Yeah, verse 10. We looked at this last week. John fourteen ten. He's going to tell them here how He did the works. And this is what we've missed. Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? The words that I speak to you, I don't speak in my own authority. But the Father... Look at this. This is so powerful. The Father who dwells in me does the works. And this is what we looked at last week. Jesus is saying, all those miracles I did raising the dead, walking on water, calming storms, 
healing the sick, opening blind eyes, maimed legs, legs missing, growing out. All those things. I didn't do them. You thought I did them. I didn't do them. It was the Father in me who did the works. And see, if somebody fell over dead here, I've been in meetings where, where they were praying for the sick. And, 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 uh, uh, <laughs> and wonderful things were happening. You know, people's legs were growing out and all kinds of nice things. People's back were getting better. And then they brought up somebody that had leukemia. And immediately the atmosphere changed. People started trying harder. You could feel it in the room. You've been there? People started trying harder. They started bearing in. Their hands went out. They started praying in tongues as if that's harder for God than a headache. Somehow we've got to get behind God and we've got to help Him and we've got to try harder because human nature is, I, I'm, I'm, I've got to be part of this equation somehow. I'm, God must have to rely on me. He does, but not the way you think. So if Jesus showed up here, suppose somebody were brought up here they're not even dead. They're, they're here in, a, in a, one of these wheelchairs and where they've got to move around electronically and there are tubes coming out of them and they've got a nurse with them. And I've been in services like this. And, and, and you know, and, and, and we all want to pray for them. You know, we're going. And then suddenly Jesus just appears and comes over. All of a sudden, what are we going to do? We're going to relax, aren't we? Because we have confidence that He's going to heal that person. We have confidence in Jesus that he's going to heal that person. But suppose that same person's here, and I say, okay, let's see, who am I going to pick? Steve, you come up and pray over him. Or, 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 or somebody else, I pick somebody else and say, or just, how many of you are going to pray over him and we're going to watch him come out of that wheelchair? That's when we're going to find out what we believe. Because I suspect, it's one thing to raise our hands, it's another thing to come up and do it publicly. We're going to pull back. Why? Because we, we, we'd have had confidence Jesus could do it. Why? Because Jesus is perfect. Jesus is God's Son. Of course Jesus would do it. But what we're going to see again today is Jesus didn't do it because He was God. Well, after all, who are you? You're God's child, aren't you? Okay, but Jesus didn't do it through His own strength. Jesus didn't do it through His own glory. We looked at Scriptures in Philippians 2, where when He came here, He laid aside His own glory. He laid aside His own power. He laid aside His own authority, and He came here and took on the form of a man. He was still God, but the power and the anointing of who He was, He laid aside. Then we watched when He was 30 years old come to the Jordan River, and when He was baptized in water, we saw the Spirit of God, the anointing of God came upon him and then he began to do the miracles. Why? Because it was the Spirit of God, it was God in him that did the works. And he did that, we saw, to be a prototype for the church because it's God in you and me that's to do the works, not me, myself, or I, or you. And that's what we looked at last week. And so we saw that... um, that then, so when Jesus was getting ready to leave, he's telling them this, and now he's preparing them to receive the same presence of God in them that was in him, so that they could do the works. He just told them to go do the works, and he's telling them now how he did them, and now he's going to prepare them so that they can have the same God dwelling in them, so the same God can do the works in them that he did in Jesus. Everybody follow me so far? 
Okay, all right. So what he told them to do then was to go to Jerusalem and to wait. And we're going to pick up, we're going to pick up there today. So let's go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. It's right after John. Now what's happened is Jesus has been crucified. Their sins have been paid for. He's been raised from the dead. He's walked among them for about 40 days. And, and, and then he, uh, 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 they've seen Him do miracles. He's appeared to about 500 people, it says. Uh, he's done miracles. He's just suddenly appeared and then disappears. They've also watched Him eat so they know that the body He has is not some ghost thing, that it's actually more solid and more real than this. It's so real, walls don't stop Him. He just walks through the walls. They don't get in His way. It's like fog in you. You ever walk into a fog bank? You know, the fog bank gives way to you. Why? Because your, your body has more substance than the fog. Jesus' risen body had more substance and reality than the walls, so He walked through the walls the way you walk through fog. And so, so He's done all that. He's demonstrated all that to them. He's shown them what God's done in Him. And now He's about to ascend into heaven. He's walked among them for, for 40 days, done these works, and now He's going to give them His final instructions. We're going to pick up in verse 4. And being assembled together with them, He commanded them. Notice this isn't a suggestion. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. I mean, this is one of the most astounding things. They've watched Him raised from the dead. They've been among Him for 40 days, raised from the dead. He didn't live with them full time, but they've watched Him still do things. They've seen all this. And now He's about to leave them and he, he tells them, you still don't have enough. There's an old expression that's common, which I'm sure you've heard about. You know, seeing is believing. The Bible's full of examples to show you that's not true. They, they, they saw Him crucified. They saw Him raised from the dead. And in some of the other accounts, they're still doubting. I mean, the man standing in front of Him with holes in His hands... And, and this is his disciples in Mark's account. He's still, they're doubting, having seen all this. So he tells them, what I've given you so far is not enough. You've come to church for 20 years. You've learned and you've grown. You read your Bible every day. You tithe. You go connect group. I hope you do. You go to Connect Group, you're involved, you're out, you know, you've handed out tracts at times, you've shared the gospel with people at work, you've done all these things. That's great. But he says you still need something. You've got fancy lights and big screens, great uh, 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 sound systems now. We've got all these things that are attractive. But he said you still don't have enough. You've got good programs for reaching the lost. You've got fancy tracts to hand out. You've got, got, got great messages on evangelism. You've had great speakers come in. That's great. Where's the results? I started asking myself a while ago, where, where's, if we have all this, where's the results? How come we didn't have to have five services this morning? I'm glad we did And you had to make sure you were here early to get your seat. How come? How come the, 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 the world's not beating down the door to get here in all the other churches? Is it because we don't have the answer? You're here this morning because you know we have the answer. 
Our efforts haven't worked. Let's just be honest. It hasn't worked. We've tried all kinds of things. They haven't worked. Maybe we need to go back and find out what the manual says to do. Maybe we just need to actually go back and do what Jesus told the church to do. Yeah, but pastor, that was over 2,000 years ago. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I've been studying a lot. I taught you for a while on, on this uh, uh, postmodernism and the, the thinking of today. I've started to take a, a, an online course of C.S. Lewis. You know who C.S. Lewis is from your Christianity? And I've discovered a b- book he's written, which I think I'd probably read before, called the, I don't want to get into this because I'll get sidetracked, called The Abolition of Man, in which in 1943 he got a hold of, somebody sent him a, a, a textbook for, for elementary school and he was so upset about it, he wrote this book because it was teaching them the foundations of what they're believing today. It was teaching them that there is no such thing as reality outside of your senses. That things, that whatever you think that something is, that's what's real. Whatever you feel, that's what's real. This was happening in 1943. And the abolition of man, he taught, it was the, the logical progression of all this is man eventually is going to abolish himself. Oh, we'll be, we'll be here, but we won't be human anymore. And that's what we're becoming. Without Christ, people are becoming inhuman. Inhuman. I can't go there. Okay. All right. Which is why this is so more needed today than ever before. So being assembled together. So now he's, he's 40 days he's been among them. He's, he's about to leave them. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. He says, don't leave yet. Don't go do what I've commissioned you to do yet. But wait for the promise of the Father. He'd already talked to them about that in, Acts, in uh, Luke 24. Which he said, you have heard of me. We're not going to go back there. But we read that several weeks ago in Luke 24. He told them that, that you're going to wait for the promise of the Father. <coughs> Verse 5. For, he's now going to explain to them what this promise is. For truly John baptized with water. We talked a little bit about that last week. Baptized is not an English word. It's a Greek word that's been brought into English. And the word means to immerse in and saturate with. So to baptize you in water means to put you down so you're completely wet. And I won't get into the the purpose behind that baptism. But John truly baptized with water. John's baptism was for the remission of sins, which was symbolic of salvation, of receiving Christ. But you... So they've already been baptized in water. They're already saved. If you go back earlier in John, once Jesus was raised from the dead, He went and He breathed on them. And He said, Receive the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. So they already had the Spirit of God inside of them. They were already born again. But He's talking about something extra beyond born again. John baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Back in Matthew's version of this, when John speaks out and sees Jesus coming, he says, here comes one, I baptize with water, but there's one among you who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Say fire. Fire. Some of us need fire. We need some fire in us. Fire to burn out the impurities, fires to get us going. But you shall, this is, this is what the promise is, you shall be baptized, immersed with, saturated with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I used the example last week of my stepfather would bring home, he was a lawyer and represented some banks and some of the things they would give away 
were these, he'd bring them home and they were sponges that had been compressed and all the air had been compressed out of them. So they were flat and they were hard. You could have broken them if you wanted to. And he brought them home to give us, I was one of, I was the oldest of five boys, to give them to us to play with. And what I like to do is we'd fill the sink up with water. I can still see it. It was brown. It had red letters on it. Fill the sink up with water. And I would take it over and I would very slowly immerse it in the water. And as the hard, as the hard sponge was slowly immersed in the water, it began to expand. Why did it begin to expand? Because it began to absorb the water. And as it began to absorb the water, the water began to fill up the spaces that air had been driven out of. Began to fill it up. See, many of us, our hearts are hard. Just like that sponge my stepfather came, brought home. They're hard, easily hurt, brittle, broken. There's no space in there for the Holy Spirit to work. There's no room in there for God to work. We sing a song, I don't remember the name of it is, but it talks about the Holy Spirit working in the crevices of our heart or something like that. And that's become part of my prayer. And so I would put this throw in the water, and as it was immersed in the water, it would begin to expand because it would begin to suck up the water, and as it sucked up the water, it began to expand it, so it became bigger. There wasn't more sponge afterwards than there was before, but the difference is, oh, this is going to preach, the difference is the sponge was bigger and fuller because of, it was now full of water. And, and what we did, because I didn't just want to see it full of water, I wanted to see how full of water I could get it. So I would take it and squeeze all the water out and get in a little ball and then put it down and slowly release it and it would suck even more water in. We're going to see that not only were they saturated with the Holy Spirit here, but over in Acts chapter 4 they get resaturated. Because life had squeezed something out of them and they got back into the Holy Spirit and He immersed, them, immersed in Him again and He filled. So you can be filled over and over again. Life squeezes things out of you. Well, this is the good part. You ready? Once I did that a couple times, I'd bring it out and it was now super saturated. Super saturated means there's so much in it, it can't hold it anymore. And I got some brothers behind me. And I would just casually, when my mother wasn't looking, fling it. And what would happen? It was so full of water that whatever I did, the water sprayed on whoever was around. If you poked it, water squirted out. That sponge was just as much the same sponge, but now it had been baptized into that water. Keep that example in your mind. Not many days from now. Verse 6. Therefore, when they come together, they ask Him, say, Lord, they don't get it. Their minds on the... <laughs> it's, are you going to restore the kingdom now? They're missing it. As so we often do. They weren't listening. He's saying, wait, you don't have what it needs. I'm going to send Him. And they say, okay, are you going to, rede- are you going to deliver our, your kingdom now? No, 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 no. Look what He goes on to say. Verse 7. He said to them, it's not for you to know that it's none of your business. 
You know, a lot of things we get into in church that are just none of our business. <laughs> we mind other people's business. We mind everything but... Oh, oh. Remember when Jesus was 12 and they took to the temple and his parents went off and they realized he wasn't with them and so they went back. And what did he say to them? He's 12 years old. They, they, they were worried. They're natural parents. He says, don't you know that I would be about my father's business? We get into everybody else's business but the father's business. And they did the same thing. Which the father has put by his own authority. Here's verse 8. But you shall receive... What? What? You shall receive power. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1, talking to the Corinthian church that was so messed up, so carnal... But he had brought the gospel to them with demonstrations and power. He said, I did not come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom, but I came to you in the demonstration and the power of the Holy Spirit. So the question that we're asking, the question that we've been given the answer to by Jesus is, what's missing? Why aren't we seeing more saved? Why aren't we seeing the churches filled? Why in this world when, when we've got a generation out there, generations out there that are being taught there's no truth, that are being taught they can't trust the Bible, they can't trust religion, how are we going to solve all that? What books are we going to write? What programs are we going to come up that's going to make something real to them? I'm told that what they're looking for is something authentic. And it's not going to be in the lights and smoke that some churches have. That's okay. But that's not what's going to reach them. The only thing that's going to reach them, the only thing that's going to reach us, the only thing that's going to reach our world is the demonstration and the power of the Holy Spirit so that the work that Jesus done will be done through us. What's missing is the power of God in our lives to deliver us from addiction and from pornography. Years ago, when I was first in the ministry, there was a Sunday evening service. There was a woman that walked in. She was Jewish. And she was a lawyer, too. She was a law student at the time. She walked in. She just walked, stumbled in. She was driving down the street and came in and listened to the message. I must have shared something about being a lawyer or something. And at the end, I give an altar call, and she comes up, having no idea what she's doing. And what was she addicted to? Alcohol or drugs or something? Do you remember, you remember what I'm talking about? She was addicted to cigarettes. Or, cigarettes, that's what it was. I mean, she was addicted to cigarettes and instantly the desire left her. That's not some program. That's the power of the Holy Ghost. Delivered. Instantly delivered. We had someone, I'm not going to point him out, but we had somebody a few weeks ago when Terry Law was here. He called out some things and one of them was back trouble and this man had two, I think, two degenerative discs who was ready to have surgery and they were instantly healed. The power of God. The power of God. The power of God. When we start seeing miracles and the power of God working through us, it builds up God and your confidence in God that He cares, that He's real. That testimony of that young man, I think it was a young man, that went to pray for this Muslim woman and says, you, do you believe it? Yeah, I believe. See, they believe in Jesus, but they don't believe He's the Son of God. They don't believe He's the Savior. 
He says, but you know he'll heal. No, I didn't. And he heals. Now, now there's an open door. Now there's proof he's real. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And look at this. You shall be witnesses to me or of me. I told you last week, I've looked this up in the Greek. Witness is a noun there, not a verb. A verb is something you do. A noun is something you are. So we're trying to do something that God's made us to be. As I said earlier, we're trying to do the good works. We're trying to get people saved so that we can be good Christians. When we've got to learn to be who we are, and then we'll do, we'll be His witnesses. And you won't need to do a lot. People will see it in you. Story I read of Smith Wigglesworth and a powerful man of God, filled with... The thing that transformed his life was when he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he tells us testimony. I don't... I've got to be careful, John. I can get off track here. Story, he was traveling on a train. And he's going from one car to the other. And he's walking down just simply the corridor in the train while the train's moving. And he passes a priest. And as he passes the priest the priest falls out on the floor behind him on his knees and cries out, Man, what must I do to be saved? Wigglesworth didn't say anything. It was the power of God made him a witness so much so he didn't have to speak anything. The presence of God convicted a priest that he needed Christ. Another story he tells... Uh, this, was, this, was, this was not him, this was um, uh, Charles Finney, another lawyer got saved. Charles Finney's in, in, up in upstate New York, uh, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, and he's in a, no, New, it was upstate New York, and he's, he went, goes into this mill, and when he walks into this mill, there's some young teenage girls that are working in the mill, and they're off to their side kind of on a break, and, and they, they start, they're making fun of him, because if you've ever seen a picture of him, he was funny looking, he was ugly with a capital U. I mean, he, and so I understand. They're teenage girls. They're, they're making fun of him. And often you make fun of things you don't understand or make you uncomfortable. It's a way of, of putting attention back on them. And, and, and he just stood there and looked at them. That's all he did. He just stood there and looked at them. I mean, I've read this in his own biography. And they, they, pretty soon they stopped laughing. Then they start shaking and trembling. And then they hit their knees and start crying out. And when they start crying out, other workers start coming and gathering around, crying out. Just crying out. They don't even know why. They're crying. He hadn't said anything. Finally, the plant manager or the owner comes down to see what's going on. He says, what is going on here? They're all crying out. He says, man, I don't know who you are, but you better tell them the answer. He shuts the thing down and says, you preach whatever you want to preach. And the whole place got saved. He didn't have to go around hand-dragging tracks. There's nothing wrong with tracks. He didn't have to do those things. Simply was this. So full of the Holy Spirit. Wiggles were so full of the Holy Spirit that who they were with God, see, was God dwelling in them. Remember when Jesus would go places, the demons would cry out? 
and said, man, we know who you are. They didn't know who he was because of how he looked. They could sense God in him. Jesus said, it wasn't me. It was God dwelling in me. Now he's telling him, you need to wait until God's dwelling in you the same way God dwelt in me. Until receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, he shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, where they were, all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now let's see what happens when they do what he says. Let's go over to chapter two. Oh my goodness. That was the introduction. I'm so charged up with this, if we got to take longer to do it, we're going to get this right. Now this is ten days later. So they've been doing what he said to do. When the day of Pentecost has fully come, I don't have time to explain to you, but the, the Pentecost was, a, was one of the festivals. It was a festival of the harvest, of getting ready for the harvest, of the latter rain. It was a festival for, for, the, for when the, the harvest was getting ready. But when the day of Pentecost had fully come, several significant things in here. They were all with one accord. We talked about that Wednesday night before prayer. They weren't just here for their own things. They didn't know why they were there, but they were there for one purpose. The purpose was to receive what Jesus told them to receive. That was their purpose. And they had kept that for ten days. In one place, and suddenly, say suddenly. Suddenly. Notice it happened suddenly when they weren't expecting it. Suddenly there came a sound. Say sound. This is so tangible, so real. We're going to see that the whole area around them heard the sound. They didn't post billboards. They didn't send out constant comment emails, which there's nothing wrong with that. The world around them heard something. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Wind is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Remember in Acts, I've got the scriptures here, we're not going to turn there, but I've got them in my notes. Uh, in Exodus 14:21, when Jesus, when God tells them, tell Moses, hold your staff up because the, I'm going to part the Red Sea. It says it was a mighty east wind. That word "wind" in Hebrew is the same word for spirit, and I believe God's spirit blew back the sea. Uh, over in uh, when when the when the flood had finished in Genesis 8, it says the the wind the the wind of God caused the, the, the waters to recede. And so what happens is there's a mighty rushing wind. This is the Holy Spirit blew into the place. And He filled, look at this, He filled the whole house where they were sitting. See, some people get caught, well, I don't know if I can receive this or not. You just had to be in the house. <laughs> there are things with God, you just got to be here. Internet's great, streaming's great, but they, it was where they were that the Holy Spirit came. They filled the whole house where they were, and there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. Stop a second. Let me explain to that. They didn't get burned up. I also don't believe it was like some little big flame on the top of their head. Have you ever, ever look at a fire? It looks like their tongues. My grandson posted on Instagram last night, my, my family has a fire pit. Did you use it last night? Yeah. Posted. I can tell when they're having it out because he posts these and there's these, these tongues of fire going back and forth. But I don't believe it was actual fire. I don't believe it was actual fire. 
There are several places in the Bible where the Holy Spirit appears as fire. When, when God established the tabernacle in the wilderness in the Old Testament, and when He commissioned it, it says God's presence came down to lead them and to provide for them and to protect them, came down as a cloud in the daytime and as a pillar of fire at night. Of fire at night. And I don't believe it was the fire you could have roasted your marshmallows on. Remember when Moses is at the mountain and he's back on the backside of the desert and he sees a bush and it's what? It's burning. Called the burning bush. But it didn't burn up. If it were literal flames, it would have burned up. And by the time God was finished, it would have been ashes. But it was the glory of God. See, when these writers are writing, they're seeing by the Holy Spirit, they can only, they can only use human terms. And there are things that are of God that are so far beyond human terms, all we can do is very weakly and find words that can best describe it. And the glory of God, I've known of a preacher that was preaching in the Philippines, and, a, and the fire truck showed up. And they said, why are you here to put out the fire? What fire? We can see flames on the roof. But they weren't flames of a real fire. It was the glory of God. That's what I believe this was. Then notice the next thing is, it sat on those that were the holiest. It sat on James and John and Peter, the leaders. No, it sat on each of them. There were about 120 in this room. For those of you that are of a former persuasion, Mary was in the room. She got filled with the Holy Ghost. Sat on each one of them, verse 4. And they were all, say all, all all filled. Whoever was there was filled. So when we come to this point, which won't be today, whoever's here. (laughs) See, we we look at ourselves, well, I don't know that I'm worthy. I don't know. They didn't, they just were there. They were there and available. That was it. See, this is the easiest thing in the world because that's what God wants. We try too hard and get ourselves in the way. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with, one, with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We're not going to get off on that this morning because I saw this, I was looking at this again this morning. So much of the time the church gets off on tongues and misses the main reason, the main point here. Tongues are important, but that's not what the focus is here. We're going to read down through this as much as we have time to do today. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with tongue, other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now the, the scene's going to shift to outside the room. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together. So they must have heard this sound outside of the room. And they were confused. I understand that. Because everyone heard them speaking in their own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not those who speak Galileans? So here's God's advertisement. God took the word out into the streets when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And now, verse 8, How is it that we hear each one in our own language from which we were born? He goes through a list of them. Go down to verse 11. And then Cretans, he goes through the names, the list of their countries. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What could this mean? 
Some mocked and said, they're full of new wine. They're drunk. So they must have been acting in a way that looked as if they were drunk. Notice it spilled into the streets. Notice they were so filled now with the Spirit that they, they, it, it spilled into the street, kind of like the sponge that's so full of water that the sponge can't contain the water. And some mock it. Now, here's what happens. This is so powerful here. Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. In other words, you better listen to me. Now, let's stop a second. Let's remember this Peter, who only 50 days earlier was not quite so bold. Oh, the night before he was bold, and he told Jesus, Look, don't go to the cross, but if you do, I'll die with you. And Jesus turns to him and says, You really think so? He says, before, the, before, before breakfast tomorrow, before the cock crows, you'll have denied me three times. And look who Peter denied him to. It wasn't the Pharisees. It wasn't the ones that could arrest him. He denied him to a, a, a young girl, a washer who did washing. He, he, he denied him to, to young people that couldn't do anything. He was afraid and hiding. Fifty days later, this man stands up in the middle of the people that arrested him and crucified Christ. And he is speaking boldly. I used to think, well, maybe it's because he'd seen the risen Lord. Maybe because seeing Jesus risen gave him the boldness. But no, he'd seen Jesus risen, and they're still struggling at the day of the ascension. And between then and now, they're hiding. What changed him was the power was now living in him. The person of the Holy Spirit was now... So let's look at what he says in the time we have. Heed my words, verse 15. For these are not drunk, as you suppose. So they must have been looking drunk or acting drunk. I'm getting warm. Take this off. Don't worry, I'm not... For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. In other words, it was about nine in the morning. So they're not drunk, as you think. But this was what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So what he's going to do is he said, the very thing you're seeing now is what God spoke was going to happen through the prophet Joel. And now he quotes part of Joel chapter 2. And it shall come to pass in these last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men, we're not going to talk about them. On my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour it out my spirit in those days. He goes on and on and on and on and on. Then it says, verse 21, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now look at this, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, by wonder, by the works that he did. Miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him. Peter now has a hold of this, that God did through him in your midst as you yourself know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you, this is, look at this bold, look at the change in him, you've taken by lawless hands and crucified and put him to death. This man's now bold. 
Where's his boldness come from? It doesn't come because he took boldness 101. It doesn't. It comes because now God's living in him at a dimension, at a power that he not had before, and he's conscious of it. When you know God's in you and flowing in you, it gives you a a, a boldness. I remember, I remember in the church I had before on a Sunday night, I was teaching on giving or finances, and and and. At the end of it, we, there was a, a missionary there, an evangelist there that had had a tent. I guess maybe he was speaking that night. And I stood up, and by the, by the anointing of the Spirit of God, I told this congregation, I said, in 30 days, we're going to pay off the debt on his tent. I had no idea how much it was. And I was absolutely confident in this, so confident, I was bold to step out and told them how it was going to happen. Went out to get something to eat, went home and all said, What in the world have you done, John? What did you say? But I didn't say it in my boldness. It was the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly, I don't have time to get into the story. It's exact supernaturally, the money was raised, not by people taking from their regular income. Supernatural ways that money came in. But it was what God in me spoke out, and it gave me a boldness to speak. Okay. Don't worry. I don't feel that today. All right, praise God. Now it says just oh one. Does that mean I can start over again? I know they're trying back there. They're doing their best. I'm just... Okay, where was I before I interrupted myself? Okay, so now he's telling... He said, you arrested him. You put him to death. And he did these miracles by God living in him. And then he's going to quote... David's prophecy about this. And we're going to go down to um, verse 32. Because basically what he's saying here... (laughs) Well, I'm going to go on. Okay, verse 32. Then Jesus, this Jesus, God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but himself said, Lord, sit at my right hand, and, uh, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Look at verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know as surely. This includes the Pharisees, this includes the, 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 the Sadducees, this includes the Sanhedrin, this includes the lawyers, this includes everyone. God has made this Jesus, look at this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, Lord and Christ. He's telling them this, that Jesus you think you crucified, that was the Messiah. But look at his boldness to speak this out. His boldness. Let's go over to verse 38. Well, no, verse 37. Let's see the result of this. This is the difference. This is, this is the difference when, when whatever said is God speaking through us. Look at this. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. It penetrated their heart. We're talking about hard-hearted religious people. We're talking about people that stood there and watched Jesus crucified, mocked Him, 
And not all of them, but the ones that were there were cut to the heart. The Spirit of God coming out of Peter didn't go to their mind. He went into their heart and cut through to touch it. And the proof of it is, as they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, you know when the Spirit of God's moved, men and brethren, what shall we do? Notice they didn't say, Peter, what a great message. Where can I get the CD? They didn't say, Peter, wow, what a great preacher you are. Their reaction was, what must we do? Just as that priest, when, when, when Wigglesworth walked past him, man, man, what must I do to be saved? Just as those two girls and the rest of that, 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 that business cried out to, to Charles Finney, what must we do? When people want to do something, you know the Spirit of God has gotten in. This didn't happen because Peter spent four weeks fasting and praying and getting a, a wonderful sermon with three great points and a good outline. Paul said, I did not come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom, but I came to you in the demonstration and the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 38. What's Peter answer? Repent. <laughs> Repent. The word repent just means turn around. Change your mind. Repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, that's getting saved, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, what you just see here. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord We'll call, he's talking about you and me. So this promise is not just to them that were there that day. It's not just, see, there's, 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 and I don't want to get hung up in all the teachings that are out there. There's a large segment of the, of the, uh, of the body of Christ that teaches that, that when you're born again, you get all of the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get. And that's true. But that doesn't mean you're full of Him. that doesn't mean you're full of Him. Because when you're full of Him, the water squirts out. When you're full of Him, things happen. When you're full of Him, people get cut to the heart. When you're full of Him, power comes out of you. When you're full, so you can have Him and not be full of Him. I'm not, I didn't want to get into this this morning, but, but, but I'll refer to it. We'll get into it later on because there's, a, there's a symbolism about this that's important to understand this. In John chapter 4, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, and He's talking to her about salvation. And He says to you, if you know the gift of God and who it is that's talking to you, Him, that He was Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, you would ask of Him, and He would give you living water, a fountain or a spring of living water that would bubble up inside of you. That's talking about the Holy Spirit that comes in you when you're born again. Because the purpose of a fountain, the purpose of a spring, is to satisfy your needs, your, to wet your thirst, to satisfy your thirst, your, your needs. And the Spirit of God in you is to do that for you. But then over in chapter 7, 
at the end of the feast, I think it's around verse 36 and 37 or 8, something like that, he stands up at the last day of the feast and he says, come to me all ye that are thirsty, and he says, and I, and I will give you rivers of living water. Do you understand there's a difference between a fountain and a river? Especially nowadays when we see all these floods and what the flood can do. Flood can sweep away homes. It can it can overflow its riverbanks. It overflows its container and overflows it. And it's just the power of that river unleashed is not a little fountain. You shall receive rivers of living water come out of your belly, out of your innermost being. And he goes on to the verse thing. It's verse thirty-eight. And it says that he spoke of the Holy Ghost who had not yet been given because he'd not been raised from the dead yet. So the difference is between the Holy Spirit in me to minister to me and the and, and Holy Spirit in you is what makes you a child of God. The Holy Spirit in you is the presence of God in you. So you can fellowship with Him, talk to Him, hear from Him. But being filled with the Holy Spirit is the power of God for ministry to other people. And that's His power. It's like the sponge was the sponge before it went in the water. But when the sponge came out of that water, it was filled with the water. And, and what so much of the body of Christ thinks is that, well, I got all of that at once. Well, then where's the power? Where's the power? Where's the power? And what we tend to do, and I really don't want to get off on this, so don't let me, <laughs> is, is we start redefining what the Word says based on our experience. So if I'm not seeing it, that means that it, it went away with the last apostle. If I'm not seeing it, it must mean it's not for us today. If I'm not seeing it, it must mean I already have it instead of finding out why my life doesn't measure up to the Word and asking God. And the whole purpose of today, the whole purpose of this part of our series is to just ask the question, God, where is it? To, to develop a hunger. God, I don't have what I need. The way I've been looking at it, say, God, where is this? I don't, I don't walk in this. I've taken taste of it, but I don't walk in this. Why? 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 We've got to begin to ask that question as a church, which means being honest. Is it, God, where is it? What's missing? What is missing? And what we're going to find out, for most of us, the power's in us, but we've never released it. We'll talk about that later on. But it's to see the desperate need we have for the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at what happens here. First of all, they're cut to the heart. Their response is, what must we do? Peter says, you must repent and be baptized into Christ. You must get saved for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Spirit for the promises to you, your children, to all who are far off, as many as the Lord will call. Look at verse 40. And with many other words he testified in exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day, that day, that day, that day, about 3,000 souls were added. Why? Because one man filled with the Holy Spirit, with God in him, spoke with a boldness and that Spirit penetrated people's hearts. And when they responded to that penetration and he told them what to do and they did it, then 3,000 souls no program, no tracks. I'm not saying anything wrong with them. That's a good effort. But it's not the most efficient thing. The power, 
Paul says, I did not come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration and the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in church, I mean in, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayers. They actually came together and prayed. They came together for the word and fear, reverence came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. It was God in them just as God was in Jesus doing these works. And now all who believed were together and had all things in common. Suddenly the things of this world were not so important. You struggle with your flesh, get filled with the Holy Ghost. Galatians 5 says, if you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust. You get so filled up with God, the stuff of this world just has no attraction to you. Well, I don't want to lose my fun. There's no greater fun than God. But it's not like, oh, I've got to give all this up so that I can have... It's the other way around. You get filled up with God and you won't care about the things of this life. And they were continually daily with one accord. See, one of the things the Holy Spirit does is He brings unity. He brings us together. Ephesians chapter 4 says He is the Spirit of unity. He bonds us together. He brings us together. There will be no strife. Those things just don't matter when God's power, His reality is in us and we're filled with it. Verse 46, Continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, sharing the gospel together. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. Now we're going to get into next time what happens after this is John and Peter go to church to go to the temple at the time of prayer and there's the man who's been lame from, from his birth and they raise him up. He goes dancing throughout the synagogue and then they get arrested and, and they get beaten and they don't, the, the, the authorities don't know what to do with them. I, I mean, you know you're full of God when the authorities don't know what to do with you. Because they know what to do, but they don't know what to do with you because they don't know what to do with the God that's in you. And they were so bold with God in them. And that I'm getting ahead of myself because we'll look at that. I've got to tell you anyway. That, that they, they threatened them and said, you can't preach anymore in that name. I love what Peter says. He says... I don't really care what you say. He says, whether I do that or not, <laughs> whether I do that, I can't help it. He said, I cannot help declaring what I've seen and heard. I can't keep my mouth shut. This is the Peter that 50 or so days before was hiding, afraid they're going to find out he was there and find out that he was one of his apostles. This boldness that's come upon them. My brothers and sisters, my friends, If there's anything we need in this day as Christians, it's this boldness. It's this boldness. It's this boldness.